I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast, as ever your host Matt Dixon, and today our race-ready replay stride towards the finish line. Did I really say that? I did indeed. But I take you through all you need to know to help facilitate hitting your potential on the run, including things like your shoe choice, nutrition, terrain, even walking your way to the very fastest run performance that your training allows. You come out of T2, and all you've got to do is run to the finish. What could possibly go wrong? Well, apparently, as you'll hear today, a lot. But let's buffer against that. Let's make sure that we excel. So many athletes struggle on this discipline, but yet you don't have to. Why is the run leg such a challenge? What are some of the things that could go wrong? I discuss everything and I talk you through the solutions to get you to the finish with deep pride and a chance to learn and grow. Your running success doesn't come from burying yourself in basic miles. It doesn't come from some carbon plate in your shoe. It comes from a little healthy dose of pragmatism and a commitment to one of my favorite purple patch sayings, nail the basic. And so let's get into it. I give you your guide to run success. <music> Yes, the meat and potatoes. Ladies and gentlemen, let's tuck in. You swim, you bike, and here we are. Shoes on, out of T2, the most simple of the three disciplines. All you need to do is run to the finish. What could possibly go wrong? Well, apparently, quite a lot. You see, the run is the most common discipline for your race to unravel. Across the three pieces of the triathlon puzzle, the run seems to see the greatest discrepancy between performance, expectations and potential, and reality. Too often, athletes struggle. Now, they don't need to. And today's show is all set up to try and help you optimize your run performance. Before we frame the strategy's success, I think it's important for us to ground ourselves. In fact, I want to go through everything that can go wrong and why. Because it's from this place that we can emerge from it and develop your toolkit of success. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through three steps in today's show. Firstly, we're going to frame the run challenge. Secondly, I'm going to depress you a little bit. What can go wrong in the run? And finally, we're going to set up your path to success. And that path to success is actually really stunningly simple. Five elements. And so without further ado, it's a pretty simple day today, but it's important for you. And I hope that this can carry you to great run performance. Let's talk about the run challenge. And I want to begin by having you stamp one thing into your mind. 
Whether you're faced with a 5K in a sprint triathlon, a half marathon in a 70.3, a marathon in an Ironman, and any other distance between, you are not racing a run. You are commencing your run portion of the race following a swim, a high heart rate transition, a bike ride, and then a second transition. For most races, these events that occur before you even get to do the run require hydration and fueling in order for you to even start to have a hope of successfully navigating. In other words, there's a whole lot that can happen by the time you even get to start the run portion of your race. Now, in addition to the accumulated systemic and muscular fatigue from all of these things that happen prior to you starting your run, you are also finishing your race, the run portion, that is a discipline that is weight-bearing. In fact, every step that you take, more than twice your body weight is going into the ground, creating trauma and fatigue in your legs. And on top of it, it's not like a bike where you have a whole bunch of gears that you can vary load. You've got your body, two legs, and a brain on top. And that brain can help you stay on track and make smart decisions. And so there's not a whole bunch you can do. You can't vary load or mix things up. It is you, your equipment, in other words, your body, against the terrain. And so, yeah, let's face it. The run portion of a race coming at the end, the third of the disciplines, is a tough ask. But also that's why this is a great sport, because it all adds up to a simple thing. And that's that the run portion of a triathlon has very little relation to doing exactly the same distance or type of race in standalone running races. You can't pace or set up your Ironman marathon in the same way that you would approach a standalone marathon. And on top of that, the biggest challenge that athletes face in the run portion of the race, especially as events get longer and longer and longer, is what I would label mechanical fatigue. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And so I want you to remember that mechanical fatigue, basically your muscles just ain't behaving. They won't respond. You don't run out of puff. You don't think, oh my God, I just can't handle it. The stress on my heart rate and breathing is just too much. Typically it's what's going on below my waist. They just won't move like they would in training. And that's really important to remember when we dive into the conversation today, because it's going to have an impact on management and your choice of shoes and pacing. And finally, the other key predictor of run performance is how well you have delivered yourself to the start of the run through all of the prior activities. And that includes substrate management, pacing, postural stress, and all of those elements can add up to paving your path to great success or eternal misery, at least until the finish line comes. And so I want to dig into these and think about what can go wrong. What are the things that really go wrong during or before the run? And so I get to go a little bit quick fire here. 
it's sort of a list of a host of things that can impact your running success. But by us understanding these things, it is then that we can, out of the ashes, build a toolkit. And so I warn you before we go through this, you're going to listen to me for the next five or seven minutes and we'll finish the list. And I wouldn't be surprised if you let out a deep breath in complete despair. In fact, after I finish this list, you might think, oh my God, this is feeling like the exploding tape recording in the Mission Impossible. How am I ever going to get this done? I'm going to be a failure in running. But don't worry, the antidote of these pitfalls lies in really simple actions. In fact, just in a healthy dose of pragmatism. And so I want to get the dirtiness out of the way so that we could fire up your success. And so without further ado, what could go wrong? Well, as I said before, unfortunately, a lot. Number one, poor pacing. Now, this is typically much less to how you approach the run. More often than not, the damage is done on how well you paced the bike. Many would imagine that the growth in popularity of power meters and other metrics-based tools that enable us to see actually how hard you're working would diminish this impact. But no, sadly not. Many of the pacing issues arrive from athletes either ignoring their own signals of their body in racing or having elevated expectations of race performance that are simply not based in reality. You see, racing does really funny things to all of us, but remaining calm and pragmatic and sensible and bathed in reality, well, it's one of the biggest challenges that many athletes face. And so if you override the bike, it is going to have a tremendous impact on your ability to run well. And so, boom, let's bank it. Problem number one, how you ride the bike. Number two, poor fueling, hugely important. A second impact on the run is invariably substrate availability. Now, this can arise from undereating on the bike or, and this is the tough part, poor absorption of ingested calories. So in other words, often overeating. And the overconsumption relative to the ability to actually get it through the GI system or a lack of dilution of the ingested calories causing a shutdown of your GI system. And so whether you're light on substrate, something that you can come back from, but certainly imp impacts your running performance, or you've got a stomach like a watermelon because of a lack of digestion, boom, impact on the run performance. The sister of this is poor hydration, number three. Now, dehydration can impact both your caloric absorption. So in other words, you're dehydrated, you cannot absorb calories, therefore it is performance inhibiting in itself. But dehydration can also lead to a drop in blood volume. And that blood volume is associated with the drying sponge effect of underhydrating. And as you start to tip towards five, six, seven percent of dehydration of your body water weight, and then directly your performance decline occurs. And of course, where you're going to feel that 
even though it's been occurring over the bike, is when you first take steps on the run. And so if we add fueling and lack of hydration together, it's no surprise that your planning and approach on the bike relative to fueling and hydration isn't just about supporting bike performance. It's really about setting up good run performance. So let's just take a quick pause right here and let's consider what I've said so far on what can go wrong. Poor pacing on the bike, poor fueling on the bike, poor hydration on the bike, and all of those impact run performance. So I want you to let that sink in because the next time, and at some time in your triathlon career, you will be faced with this. The next time that you come out of a race and you've had a really challenging run performance, you've, let's use the dirty word, you failed in the run. As you come out of that race and you review, I would urge you right now, be careful. Don't just jump straight to the common, oh my goodness me, I need to up my run training. Because the truth is that the damage, more often than not, was done well before your running training could even express itself. It didn't even have an opportunity to shine. Because the first three big things that we talked about, poor pacing, poor fueling, poor hydrating, they all occurred earlier in the race. Okay, so back on track. Let's come back. Where else can we source or find problems, things that impact your run performance? The next one we're going to talk about, number four, is postural stress. So very sore and tight muscles that render good, calm, efficient running close to impossible. Now, this could come from repeatedly lifting the head in the swim after failing to actually train this action all the way leading up to an event. Or it could come from a poor bike fit or even how you've been sitting on the bike. In other words, your posture and pedaling on the bike. And these situations are actually amplified when you go and take on a flatter course where there's less natural variance, where naturally you would shift your muscle load, your pedaling and your position. And so ironically, these courses that people look at on the paper and think, oh, yes, I'm going to rub my sweaty palms together because I am going to absolutely fly. And look at that run course. It's dead flat. I'm going to go really fast. It can actually be really challenging and demanding because you sit in one position, potentially with poor posture and an underwhelming bike fit at one power, at one cadence, all day on the bike. And then you stand up and you go, oh, my neck, my shoulders, my back. And you start to look like you're running with two heavy bags of shopping. You see, the body doesn't like monotony. It likes variance. Okay, goodness me. Come on, Dixon, you must be done. I'm starting to despair. Au contraire, my listener. We have more issues laid out in front of us. Number five, a poor shoe choice. Here we go. 
racing flats. Racing flats. Yes, racing flats. You train every day in comfortable padded shoes, mitigating muscle damage, and then you enter a race in which the greatest challenge to your running success is mechanical fatigue. Yes, muscle fatigue. Because you are beginning the run several hours into the overall event. And remember that you're somewhat depleted of substrates, you've got heavy legs, you might have partial dehydration. And what do you do? You go and choose a pair of shoes that have been designed for a Kenyan runner trying to hold close to four minute miles over the course of a marathon. Stop and think, is that the right shoe choice for you? Are those shoes solving your problems? Because you, like me, run like a donkey dipped in cement. You are not an elite Kenyan runner. You are not Jan Frodeno or Annie Howe. Okay, if you're listening, Jan, Annie, well, this might not apply to you. But the rest of you lot, you're battling a loss of tensile strength. You're experiencing mechanical fatigue. And here are my light, fresh, new shoes that the persuasive booth salesperson in the expo sold you. They're not the choice for you, no matter how much your heroes get paid to tell you they're the next best thing. They're not the right shoes for you. All right, we're almost done. You're down in the ditch, but we've got more to go. Another thing that can be your undoing, a stubborn mindset. Plenty of folks struggle in the run portion of the race due to ego or a belief that the path to success anchors around a simple word, toughness. You just got to toughen up, laddie. Okay, look, racing is a challenge. You must dig into the toughness so that you can excel. And it isn't easy. But I promise you this, toughness alone won't get you there. This is why I despise the approach that so many athletes and coaches take on the run. And here it is. Listen up. I've got your tip for you, mate. As soon as you get off that bike, you can do anything you want, but there is one thing you cannot do. Oh, what's that? Tell me. No matter what happens, do not walk. Oh, come on. Hit me around the head with a frying pan. Great. Just don't walk. Just go ahead, keep digging yourself into mechanical decline, overstress, poor form. Never reset. Don't be smart. Don't problem solve. Just rely on toughness. Just keep running. No, just keep running with shitty form. That's a really smart strategy. It ain't. Look, there's a better path. And I'm afraid that this approach, the tough man approach, we could call it, it proves to be so many folks undoing. And so we need to think about a better way. Now, finally, on the flip side, away from, almost in reverse of the stubborn mindset, there's what I would call the parachute pull. The mental collapse. 
You see, so many athletes, when they're faced with adversity or issues that can hamper a dream result, way too many athletes allow themselves to get pulled to the outcomes, the results. They begin to assess their performance during the race, especially during the run. Too much time alone, time to think, time to do mathematics. With lofty expectations and goals, it becomes so easy for all of us to fall into despair. And if an athlete faces struggles or challenges, begins to suffer, goodness me, I tell you what, I remember doing this myself when I had resources, ability, but I let myself succumb to bitterness and disappointment because quite frankly, I was just behind expectations. I didn't finish the job. I might as well have quit. This mind is powerful and it can dismantle performance if you let it. And so folks, look, that's it. It's stark. A lot can go wrong. And guess what? There's still one other thing that often impacts your run performance. And I'm afraid this one other thing impacts run performance more than anything else I've just said. And it happens before the starter's gun even goes off. And that is to arrive at a race really fit, really trained, but fatigued. Overstress and fatigue will show itself on the run towards the end of the race, way more than any other discipline. And how ironic it is that athletes that suffer ultimately due to carrying fatigue and overstress going into the race nearly always emerge from a frustrating run explosion with an ever deeper commitment to just do more. The only solution always seems to be to just throw more at the problem. And the ultimate truth is that the solution for these athletes lies somewhere else completely. All right, I did warn you. Well, are you feeling confident? <laughs> Perhaps not. But like special forces training, I have stripped you all the way down so that now I can build you up as an athlete ready to perform. And the good news, the solution and strategy is bathed in simplicity and pragmatism. And so, without further ado, my code for your run performance. Get your notebook out. And you know the good news? Nearly all of your answers to success are built off of simply avoiding the mistakes or the causes that lead to the dismantling of your performance potential. A great run performance isn't mythical. It doesn't require magic. There isn't some special secret source that drives you into the stratosphere. In fact, to borrow a purple patch saying, it's really all about nailing the basics. Yes, you've got to apply some grit and effort in the right places at the right time, and it's setting yourself up by nailing the elements that can ultimately interfere earlier in race performance, way before the run even commences. And so let's get dialed in with a five-point guide. Number one, here we go. And this one 
is the important one. Arrive to your race primed. Oh, that's a nice word, isn't it? It really is. Arrive primed. You see, triathlons are endurance events. They require cardiovascular conditioning and great muscular endurance. And hard work is essential. It requires commitment. There is nothing about this journey to racing that's easy. And in fact, I would say that's the thing that enables great personal reward and satisfaction. It can be so great. But this doesn't mean the requisite of hard work. It doesn't mean that more is always better, especially if that more means that you arrive depleted emotionally and physically. And this becomes really important because you guys, my listeners, the time-starved amateurs, are juggling so many stresses in life, all at the same time trying to integrate training into that very busy life. And your primary weapon to set up global performance, but also great running, is to arrive at your race really fit, so consistency allows that, but also fresh. And so as you go into your final weeks leading up to race week, I would heavily encourage you to avoid the temptation to add, to try and seek an edge, to do more. Instead, just maintain consistency. In fact, fly just by a hair's breadth under the radar. Dance on the side of caution and bank your physical and your mental resources because you bring those resources to the big day itself. And the good news on this is really that one of the bright spots, there have been some bright spots in the last year, is the fact that racing itself can be depleting. So the fact that we've had a year or so with really limited to no racing, that's going to help a whole bunch of folk, and hopefully you, pop off some incredible performances. Get excited because we are going to see some magic this year. And so before you go and race, don't block your body's chance to shine. Got it? Good. That's number one. That's the first thing you can do for your run. And with that in mind, let's continue. The second thing, dial in your equipment. Now, you might have listened to the team from IOG last week, but ensuring a proper bike setup not only optimizes bike speed, it also sets up the opportunity for a great run because postural stress on the bike is an absolute assassin of run performance. And so I really encourage you, dial in the fit and get as comfortable as you possibly can and then get aero. A similar sentiment applies to your running shoes, which is your primary equipment for this discipline. Comfortable, familiar, and suitable for you. If you are light and fleet-footed, and then you might stray towards a slightly lighter shoe. But the vast majority, that double underlined, the vast majority of amateur triathletes, yes, the vast majority, get it in there, benefit from a familiar 
and comfortable shoe that mitigates, doesn't amplify, mitigates mechanical fatigue. So many of the modern shoes that are padded are also light. And so I encourage you, choose your shoes with pragmatism. And before you ask, with nothing against the shoes, but the vast majority of athletes are not best suited to the super duper carbon plated magic shoes, especially those ones with a very narrow and tall heel box. Yes, I'm looking at you, Nike. Folks, you might as well wear stilettos. They're light, but I tell you what, you're going to begin to fall off them as soon as you're midway on your long distance triathlon run. All right, so we've dialed in, we've got primed, we've got great equipment. Now, number three, know your fuel plan, but then apply it with flexibility. Hmm, let's dig in. Your bike fuel and hydration plan sets up run performance. So nail it. But, and there's a big, big but, I want this to marinate, pardon the pun, realize this, life is not a spreadsheet. And so when you are applying your plan on race day, you must, 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 must be pragmatic and responsive. What do I mean by that? Well, you would have probably thought through how many ounces or milliliters you're going to drink every hour on the bike and how many grams of carbohydrate you're going to aim to consume and where they're going to come from. But this may almost should evolve over the course of your bike ride and into the run, depending on how the body is responding. Look, two examples. If you're losing focus, dropping mood, feeling low energy, you need to get more energy in, no matter what the plan says. Tip it in, folks. On the flip side, if you're burping, feeling bloated, tummy rumbling, don't keep tipping the energy in. You need to stay hydrated, but don't just dump calories on top of a stomach that is full of undigested calories. When you apply your fueling plan over the course of the bike and onto the run, you have to remain aware, responsive, and pragmatic. And throughout the bike, if you do this, it can pave the way for you to arrive at the run with good energy, topped up blood volume, in other words, not too dehydrated, and a clear stomach so that you are able to fuel your way through the run as well. Oh, and if you want one more tip, you need to keep in your back pocket, proverbially, not literally, but you need to keep in your back pocket the get out of jail free card. What is it? What is the get out of jail free card on the run? Well, if it all, pardon the pun again, turns to custard, literally, your stomach turns to custard, what do you do? You've got your super duper special gels. You've got your special hydration. You've got your chews that you really like. They might not be appropriate. But you know what is if your stomach turns to custard? If you just can't face anything every time, almost every athlete, Coke, 
and water. I'll say it again, Coke and water. Go on it. I don't care that you don't drink Coke in your normal life. I'm not interested if you don't take caffeine in life. Coke and water every time the triathlete's elixir. All right, guys, three in, two to go. Here's perhaps my most important one. Number four, a smart approach to the run for most of you listening. So this doesn't apply to everyone listening, but it does to most of you. Here we go. Are you ready? I'm going to hit you with something. And you might not like the sound of it, but for more than half of you, it is going to be the catalyst for your best performance on the run. I want you to embrace walking. I said it, walking. Not the whole time, but strategic walking. I want you to remember this mantra. Run as well as you can. So this means great posture, great form, great foot speed. And then hold that running as long as you can. In other words, run with that form until the form begins to really decline. And then string it together as often as you can. In other words, string together that great running with strategic walk breaks so that you can reset mentally and physically and then return to great running. Run as well as you can, as long as you can, as often as you can. And when you string that together across the whole discipline, it adds up to a great result in your running. Now let's compare what I just said with the norm. You head into the run with great ambition. I am going to tough this one out. You start to fall into the climb until you're just simply unable to run well. And then you spend the rest of that discipline, the run leg, mixing it up between some form of despairing walking and some awful running. I don't want this for you. Instead, I want you to run great the whole time. Whatever, quote, great is for you. But to do this over the course of a 10K or a 21K or a 42K, for the vast majority, it's going to be pragmatic and sensible for you to integrate short resets with power walking, not just wandering around with the shopping, but power walking so that you can reduce load, reset, and go again. And you want to start these walk breaks before you are forced to. So it's not about running until you're into decline and then trying to dig your way out of it. It's actually strategically doing it early so that when it comes to the money, the business end, you're still able to run well. It takes courage and confidence and belief in yourself to do this. But the question is, how do I do it? And I think there are two main elements to it. Because what strategic walking is, in my mind, is not simply going, okay, great. I am going to run five minutes, walk one minute, and repeat. And no matter what happens, that's what I'm going to do. 
fair enough, but that's ultimately limiting. Instead, I would prefer you to establish a pattern, a little bit like your fueling plan, but then manage it. And let me just give you a case study. Imagine that you are typically running at your goal pace. Let's not worry about the duration of the race, but imagine that you're running at nine minute miles. Great. And so you're going to begin your run portion with a little bit of a plan. I'm going to run nine minutes, so the whole mile, and then I'm going to walk 30 to 40 seconds. So in other words, I'm going to walk every aid station for 30 to 40 seconds where I can do something productive, which is to fuel and hydrate. Great. Well, you might do that for a few miles, but if you then begin to really fatigue, you might be like, hang on, this isn't working. I can't hold good form. Remember, run as well as you can for as long as you can. I can't do that for nine minutes now. So now I need to adjust. My legs are dropping off. So instead, I'm going to go to four-minute segments. And I'm going to run four minutes with a 20 to 25-second little reset. I'm still going to make sure that I time it, no matter where I'm at on my watch, to walk the aid station so that I can fuel and hydrate. But I'm going to try and limit the walking to a little bit shorter, but I'm going to do it more frequently. And then you go to that and you're retaining it. But now you're in the middle back end of the race and things start to fatigue again. Look, it's a long race after all. You've got to stay tough. You've got to stay on task. So now you might go to two minutes of running, but that running is done well. And you're going to interject really frequent 15 second walk breaks. Keep going. Keep going, keep going. And yes, when you hit the aid station, you might lengthen it. You do something productive. You fuel and hydrate. You reset the mind and you go again. What you're doing in this scenario is managing. And you're remaining focused on the things that you can control and ultimately just resetting as needed. Good. That's sort of part one. That sounds really simple. But there's one more important layer as well. And this is critical terrain. Now what you must do is have a little fluid relationship with the stopwatch because you must now layer those walk breaks in a really sensible and smart way around some simple rules. You don't walk downhill. Instead, you aim to layer the walk breaks either uphill, ideally, and if not, on the flats. The question is why? Well, it's really simple. You're looking to get from A to the finish line, B, as fast as you possibly can. And the penalty, the speed penalty of walking downhill relative to running downhill is massive. It's seismic. You don't want to run downhill when you've got gravity in your favor. Conversely, the speed penalty for walking uphills compared to chugging uphill against gravity is minimal. And so pragmatism rules. Here's the whole thing that this highlights. Everything we've talked about so far, your equipment choices, and then the application of your fueling and hydration plan and your management of the run via smart integrated walk breaks it highlights a need for you to not wander mentally. You must be present. And that's a huge part of the challenge of this sport. 
is remaining engaged with the project, with yourself, how you're doing, and solving the problems that can and will arrive. You see, excellence comes out of a commitment to yourself, responding to what's happening and staying on, oh, what's the phrase? Staying on, that's right, the process, not the outcome. Okay, so we're almost there. We have one more to go, folks. The final one. Number five, this is how you're going to nail your run performance. It is what you bring to the party. And that, it's a single word, that is a commitment. You see, you need to know that if you are having a great race, the run is going to get tough. You should realize that the run portion is also the place in which you're going to have a whole bunch of time to think. Too much time alone is sometimes not a good thing. And you will be aiming to nail a run performance while dealing with an accumulation of fatigue and a drop in substrates or energy. You will likely encounter low moods, low energy, and that can cause a spiral. And all of this is completely normal. What is going to make an exceptional run performance for you typically leading, by the way, to a great overall race performance, is an undying commitment to stay on mission. Okay, what's the mission? Well, it's really simple. When the gun goes off at the start of the race, your job is to get from the start line to the finish line as fast as you can, no matter what. So when you're on the run, how the swim portion went becomes irrelevant and how the bike portion went becomes irrelevant. What you can control now. Now, in recent years, Marinda Carfrey and Craig Alexander both won the Hawaii Ironman World Championships when they came off their bike more than 13 minutes behind the leader of the race. And as they took their first steps on the run, no one Absolutely no one believed they would win the races. They both wanted to win. They both planned and trained to win. But as they began their run, they were miles off the pace, literally miles off. And the magic in the story isn't that Crowey and Rinnie went on to just run incredible run splits and they chased their competition down. That was magical. But the point that was truly magical, world-class performance, is that both of them stayed focused on a single thing in the early part of that run, and that was what they could control. They didn't let despair take over, frustration, anger. They ran free, fueling, hydration, form, mile one down, fueling, hydration, form, mile two down, piece by piece by piece. And you know what? If they'd have done those same run splits, magical run splits, and they'd have got eighth, run exactly the same, they would have been frustrated with their overall finish, but they would have been incredibly proud of the outcome. Instead, they got to be 
proud of the outcome, and they also crisscross first. What's not to love? Now, you might not be trying to win or podium or qualify, but you can learn from those champions. You can draw from the lessons. And that's that no matter what happens in a race, your legs feel rubbish. The pace is slower than expected. Your energy is down. You had mechanicals on the bike. Qualification that you dream about is seemingly too far up the road. You still commit to that mission and you never let it go. And if you do this, it's the one thing that I can promise you. If you commit to the mission and you never let it go, I promise you right now, I promise you that you will finish with deep pride and with an opportunity to learn and grow. You'll be able to stand tall and develop as an athlete and even a human being. But if you turn your back on the mission mid-run, and you begin to plot your excuses before the finish line. Start thinking about how you're going to fire your coach and which coach you're going to turn to when all of this racing is over. Well, guess what? There is no growth opportunity from that. All you're doing is just putting another dent in yourself as an athlete. You'll be building obstacles that are going to be there for you to face in the future when you don't have to build obstacles. And how do I know this? Well, I've been coaching a long while, but also that's what I did as an athlete. That's exactly what I did. You see, once I was winning a big race, Ironman Coeur d'Alene. I came out of the swim with a couple of minute lead and I built up, listen to this, a 14 minute lead midway on the bike, 14 minutes. I led the swim and I'd powered on the bike. Now, yes, you guessed it. I was going too fast. I was underfueled and overpaced. And yes, I did get excited by the helicopter and the TV cameras. In fact, I even began to, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, begin to rehearse my speech. And then the wheels came off and I suffered. I got onto the run and I was pretty much in pieces. I collected myself and I tried to run well, stay strong. And I got to mile five and three athletes had passed me. I found myself in fourth place. Mile six, five athletes had passed me. Mile seven, I want you to hear this, I quit. I walked off the course. Now on the day, I claimed that I had to be pulled off the course. It wasn't true. I walked off. I did get a ride back with the medics. But I wasn't suffering medical emergencies. I could have walked and gained energy and stepped up with pride and finished the race. But I didn't. I walked off. And so what do you think I remember and reflect on that day? Now more than 15 years ago. What are the thoughts on my race? It wasn't my swim performance. It wasn't the great bike power I produce. It was me walking out of the back door of the race, humbled. No, not humbled, embarrassed. I didn't grow as an athlete that day. I declined as an athlete. Now, the following year, I went back. I tried again, and it was a very, very hot day, and I suffered on the run. You know what I did is I walked every aid station. 
I drank 26 Cokes, one for every mile on the run. And I was, relative, pretty slow. But guess what? Loads of other athletes were slow as well that day. It was really hot. I ended up qualifying to the Hawaii Ironman as a pro athlete. That's pretty cool. Not because I blew my own personal performance out of the water, but really just because I didn't quit. Funny that, isn't it? So folks, there you have it, the run. It's all there for you. It's for the taking. It's a big challenge, but guess what? I have faith in you. Best of luck in the racing. Let's go and have a cracker. Until next time, stay safe and take care. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!